Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. problem is, they couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> there is no sin, secret sin, in Job's life. In fact, the opposite could be said. Uh, the reason this is happening is because of Job's righteousness. How about that? Try to fit that into your little tidy theological understanding and box. Doesn't fit, does it? That's why this is all coming about. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. Job's friends said his suffering was due to secret sins. They believed God would only punish someone so drastically if they truly deserved it. Pastor J.D. helps us understand the importance of not presuming to know God's intentions. God chose Job because he was confident in Job's ability to remain faithful. His friends were wrong to claim otherwise. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapter 6 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Okay, let's jump in. Verse 1, Job 6, Then Job answered and said, Now, he's responding now to Eliphaz, who heretofore has just been accusing Job of secret sin in his life, and, of course, falsely and... Uh, so Job now responds and says, verse 2, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid with it on the scales, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. Job is sort of wanting to not excuse some of the things he said, but more so explain some of the things he said. He just got done cursing the day of his birth. He just got done loathing that he was even born, wishing he had actually been stillborn. And it's as if he's saying in response to Eliphaz that I know I'm I'm speaking rashly or maybe... I'm speaking in a way that is uh, not understandable, but you have to understand that the crushing weight of what I'm suffering is so heavy that, and he uses this comparison of taking all of the sand from all of the beaches in all of the world and putting it on a scale and then taking the calamity that has been laid on him and putting it on the other side of the scale, it would actually outweigh all of that sand. He's trying to get them to understand just how difficult and how heavy and how grievous this is. Verse 4, he says, For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. He's describing poisonous arrows that just come one after the other. He says, the terrors of God 
are arrayed against me. Does, verse 5, the wild donkey bray when it has grass? Or does the ox low over its fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are as loathsome food to me. What he's saying here, again, in response to Eliphaz, is that the, the words you spoke to me, as hurtful as they were, is like food without taste. They provide for me no nourishment. They were so unkind, so unhurtful, without taste. <laughs> in verse 7 he says, uh, or pardon me, verse 8 he says, Oh, that I might have my request. Listen to this. That God would grant me the thing that I long for. That it would please God to crush me. That he would lose his hand and cut me off. Then... I would still have comfort, though in anguish I would exult. He will not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me, and is success driven from me? Now keep in mind, he's giving voice to his pain. He's expressing the unthinkable pain and suffering that is his because of that which has come upon him. And to be in that place, he is without hope. It could be fairly said, and rightfully said, that Job has given up all hope. There's no hope for me. It's a plea on his part. The thing that he desires the most, the one thing that he wants more than anything, he, he wants God to grant him this. What is it that he wants God to grant him? That God would just put an end to this. He just wants to die. He's not suicidal. That's not on the table. That's not what this is about. He's not going to do that. He knows he can't do that. So he's asking God to do that for him and in, instead of him. What's striking to me is that this is his response to Eliphaz. And it comes at a time when he just needed a friend to give him a listening ear. He just needed a friend that he could just pour his heart out to. And what happens is, is that when he tries, it's the exact opposite that happens. Instead of his friend listening to him, his friend is rebuking him falsely, accusing him, and the first time when he does speak and want to pour out his heart, it's to curse the day of his birth. And this time, after Eliphaz has opened his mouth, Job is begging God to bring about his death. 
And thankfully for Job, and I would even say, thankfully for us, God does not grant him his request, and this for good reason. G. Camel Morgan of this wrote, When the answer does not come, when instead of the release of cutting off, we have the continuity of pain and a great silence, then let us remember this story and remain confident that there is some explanation and that when it comes, we shall thank God that he did not give us our request. I would venture to say, and I will candidly say, uh, that there have been times in my life where I just wish God would have taken me, (laughs) where things had gotten so bad, I was so low, I had lost hope, I was so discouraged, my discouragement gave way to despair, and I praise God and I thank God that he didn't do what I wanted him to do and take me. Because had he done that which I wanted him to do at the time, and by the way, this is many years ago, it wasn't like last week, so don't look at me like that, okay. (laughs) It was on the mainland in a land far, far away a long, long time ago. But I'm so glad that God did not do what I asked him to do. I want to mention one thing here before I move on. Sometimes life can get so hard that we think the only way to make the pain stop is by way of death, and nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from that. And again, keep in mind, God does not fault Job for this. God never faults a man for despair. He does not hold this against him. This is actually going to serve a purpose, as we're going to see here uh, shortly. Verse 14, Job continues, and it gets real, and I, I like this. He says, to him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, it's a very loose paraphrase. But he's saying, come on, you guys. Even if there was some secret sin in my life that you're accusing me of having, shouldn't you extend kindness to me in spite of that? In fact, even more so because of that? I mean, if you really cared about me, if you really loved me, wouldn't you show kindness to me? I mean, look at me. Look at what's happened to me. And your accusation is that it's happened to me because God is punishing me. And God is angry with me. Have you no compassion? Have you no kindness? So the words that come out of your mouth are against me? And there's no compassion for me? I mean, you you think I've forsaken God. You think I've sinned so greatly against God, and that's why this has happened to me? Shouldn't you all the more show kindness to me, if that were truly the case? And then he says this, verse 15, My brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brooks that pass away, which are dark because of the ice, and into which the snow vanishes. 
When it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. The caravans, verse 19, of Temaluk, the travelers of Sheba, hope for them. They are disappointed because they were confident. They come there and are confused, for now you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. What what Job is saying here to them is that this, my condition terrifies you. You know why? Because this could be you. And that's why you're so afraid, and that's why you're taking the posture that you're taking. And I, I didn't ask you. I didn't ask you. There's nowhere conspicuously absent from the narrative is any mention that Job ever sought for his friends to come. Now I I say that to preface what we're going to read now in verse 22. Did I ever say, bring something to me? Or offer a bribe for me from your wealth? Or deliver me from the enemy's hand? Or redeem me from the hand of the oppressors? Teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. Oh, in other words, here you guys are, and you're accusing me of sin, yet you point out no sin that I've committed. Tell me where have I sinned? I would really like to know. I would really like to know this sin that you accuse me of committing, what exactly is it? Tell me. (laughs) Help me understand wherein I've erred. Help me, show me, tell me where I've sinned. Verse 25, how forceful are right words. But what does your arguing prove? Oh, I like that. In other words, if I can say it this way, and you'll forgive the bluntness with which I say this, it's like Job is saying, you can prove nothing. You've proved absolutely nothing. Here you are arguing your case against me, accusing me of everything and anything, and you've proved nothing. Verse 26, do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one, which are as wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless and you undermine your friend. Now, therefore, be pleased to look at me, for I would never lie to your face. This is interesting. Verse 28 is very interesting, and I'll explain why. It seems that they would not look Job in the eye. Now, you have to understand that, and picture the scene, how utterly hideous Job would have looked. I can can imagine them wincing even trying to, to, to look at him, boils all over him, covering him from the top of his head to the bottom of his toe. You'll forgive the graphic description, but it's in the account. They're pus-filled, they're itching, they're infected, they're red, they're disgusting, they're hideous. And it's like Job is saying, come on, look at me. 
Look me in the eye. Eyeball to eyeball. And then he says, verse 29, Yield now. Let there be no injustice. Yes, concede my righteousness still stands. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern the unsavory? Do you think that little of me? Do you really think that I cannot discern? And you have to give me that. You have to concede my righteousness. You prove nothing. Here you've been accusing me of everything. You've proved nothing. My righteousness still stands. And my tongue speaks rightly. There is no injustice on my tongue. Do you think that little of me? That you think I'm lying to you? Look me in the eye. You think I'm lying to you? You think that I'm trying to deceive you? Lie to your face? You know what's interesting is that, and I want to point this out before we get to chapter 7, notice that Job is not addressing Eliphaz specifically, individually. He's addressing all three of them collectively. Now, why do I point that out? Because even though we've only heard from Eliphaz up to this point, he has rightly discerned that the silence on the part of the other two is evidence of their complicity. In other words, if they did not agree with the rebuke and the accusation from Eliphaz, certainly they would have spoke up and said something, but they did not. Why didn't they? Because they're in agreement with Eliphaz, and certainly we're going to see that here momentarily when these other two so-called friends open up their mouths. (laughs) And by the way, again, just uh, a little bit of a forewarning, it's going to get ugly. (laughs) It's going to get really ugly. Uh, Actually, we're going to see even these other two guys are worse than Eliphaz was. At least Eliphaz had some, some tact, some moxie, if I can say it that way. These other two guys, oh my goodness. They're just, anyway. But the fact that they would say nothing. You know, sometimes our silence is deafening. But, but you have to understand, too, that these other two friends have the same theology that Eliphaz has. By the way, God's going to have the final word on that. What is that theology? Um, if you're righteous, God will bless you. If you're unrighteous, then God will not bless you. In fact, good people have good things happen, and bad things uh, happen to bad people. That's their theology. So this is a pretty bad thing that's happened to Job. Certainly he did a bad thing. That's the only thing that makes any sense in my understanding of how God deals with us. So Job, the only explanation, according to our theology, is that all of this has happened because there is some deep secret sin in your life. That's the only thing that makes any sense. Problem is, they couldn't be more wrong. (laughs) There is no 
sin, secret sin, in Job's life. In fact, the opposite could be said. Uh, the reason this is happening is because of Job's righteousness. How about that? Try to fit that into your little tidy theological understanding and box. Doesn't fit, does it? That's why this is all coming about. It's because Job was righteous. Remember the conversation in chapter 1? When Satan comes before the throne of God, and God brings attention. God knows why Satan's there. He's been stalking Job, and he says to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job, how righteous he is? No, he's a righteous man. Not sinless, not sinless, blameless, righteous. He has not sinned against God. And all three of them, and Job discerns it, all three of them believe that that is the only thing that could ever explain. I think we do err greatly when we come to these conclusions based on our bias and understanding. And then, not only to come to the conclusion, but then to bring voice to that conclusion in such a way as they do. Okay, verse 1, chapter 7. Job continues, Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me, when I lie down, verse 4, I say, When shall I arise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. What he's referring to here is the brevity of life and even the futility of life. He looks back on his life and he says, where's the meaning in this? Where's the hope in this? Verse 7, oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him, verse 8, who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. The book of Job shares the story of a man who has lost everything, but still clung to his faith in the goodness of God. This is an unusual concept, especially in a world that typically blames God for the evil that is around the world. God is still good no matter the difficulties you are facing in your own life. God is in control, and He will bring things to the conclusion He knows is right and perfect. He provides the peace and comfort you'll need to endure as well, along with the strength to continue forging ahead. Trust God. He's on your side. We hope you found encouragement and blessing through today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to connect with you, so please take time to visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Follow our links to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube 
and join the conversation already happening there. You'll learn more about our ministry at our website as well and be able to catch the latest editions of the Mideast Prophecy Update. Each week, Pastor J.D. takes a look at current events of the world and compares them with scriptural teachings, sharing what God is teaching him through it all. You'll find these updates at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com as well as on our mobile app for Apple and Android phones. That brings us to the end of our time with you today. There's much more to discover in the book of Job. We hope you'll read ahead and ask God to reveal His truth through the words on the page. Join us on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth as Pastor J.D. continues his study in Job. Holding me true.